0: Hello and welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. Welcome. Thanks for listening. Here at Hell No, we know you have your choice of podcasts and we would like to thank you for choosing our podcast. Please remember to follow, rate, and review and we hope you enjoy your flight. Because this week we are back in Sydney, Australia, just like last week's case. But this this is an entirely different case. This isn't a spin-off of that case or something like that. This is all new, all new case. When I started researching last week's case and digging into news articles, I started to stumble across a few Sydney cases that I didn't know, I had never heard about. But this case, it had been mentioned to me a while ago, uh, but I never really looked into it. And then I saw an article on it and I thought, oh shit, that's the case my friend was talking about because my friend had, had mentioned it to me, but she didn't know people who were involved she didn't know names she just knew the situation kind of told me about it and I was like whoa that sounds crazy but then I stumbled across an article on it and I was like this sounds just like what my friend was telling me about so I started to read about it and I was shocked to discover that when a couple was being robbed at gunpoint in their own home by an intruder and they defended themselves they found themselves on the wrong side of the scales of justice. I always thought if an intruder breaks into your home, points a gun in your face, and threatens to kill you or your family or your loved ones, you can do whatever you need to do to stay safe and to keep those you love safe. But in Sydney, Australia, I guess that just isn't the case, Or maybe it just isn't how the court saw it in this case. I don't know if everyone listening has heard the Susan Walters case I covered. This case is, it is different from that, but same outcome for the intruder. Uh, The Susan Walters case, that was an American case. She came home, a man was hiding in her dark home waiting for her. He attacked her, tried to kill her made his intentions clear that he was trying to kill her she overpowered him put him in a chokehold and he died as a result of that chokehold susan did call him an ambulance as she was a nurse and she never wanted to kill anyone her her intention was not to kill this man who was trying to kill her she was just trying to save her own life so she she knew this man wasn't good she was freaking out she ran over to her neighbor's house called an ambulance for this guy Uh, and rightfully she was never charged as she acted in self-defense and this was proven beyond reasonable doubt but let's take a look at this week's case and you will see what I mean by similar but different but and results the same for the intruder and this time the person defending themselves and their loved ones they were not allowed to walk free Sydney, Australia, Friday, August 10th, 2018, in a suburb called Forest Lodge. 24-year-old Hannah Quinn walks to a cafe around noon, gets some coffees, and walks to her 28-year-old boyfriend's apartment to enjoy their Friday afternoon coffees on a nice sunny day, which just sounds so lovely and so relaxing. Her boyfriend's name is Blake Davis, Blake is an actor, and Hannah studies. In Australia, they call it TAFE, but in Canada, it's more like college. TAFE is college, but in Australia, they call high school college. So, I'm going to say TAFE, and now you know what I mean. So, Hannah, she was a TAFE student. I'm not exactly sure what she was studying, though. And Blake, he was an actor. As she was walking into Blake's home, she notices a man kind of creeping around and acting strange and her gut was telling her something wasn't right about this situation but since she couldn't see any real danger she just went inside. The interesting thing about gut feelings and why they are usually accurate is because our brains have a way to, to to detect slightly off behaviors and and situations like if someone is lying you can sometimes pick it up especially if you know the person and you don't know exactly how you know that they're lying but you know and that's because in the background of your mind it's picking up these subtleties that the liar is doing things like slightly moving their hands around, uh, jittering legs, shaking feet, body position changing, or maybe the person not not looking at you the way they usually do. And there is actually an entire scientific reason for why we have these gut feelings, which absolutely fascinates me to no end. Well, Hannah, she was having this gut feeling about this creeper, but with nothing else to really go on, she just proceeded on with her day. She goes inside and is talking to Blake when all of a sudden a man with a gun wearing a black face mask, gloves, and a hoodie runs into the home and starts demanding money from them. And he is pointing a gun at Blake. The gunman is aggressive and yelling and also has a pair of brass knuckles on his fist. The intruder is showing signs of violence and rage and Hannah and Blake are fucking terrified. The masked gunman is yelling, Give me all your fucking money, over and over and over again while pointing this gun at them. Blake screamed at the intruder that they had no money in the house in an attempt to let neighbors know he was being robbed. And then the gunman turned the gun on to Hannah. Blake courageously stepped in between the gunman and Hannah and tries to defuse the situation, but it did no good. The gunman seemed desperate to get money from the home and told them if they didn't give him money, then he was going to shoot them. And not only he knows where Hannah and Blake live, but other people do as well. Blake took this as a threat to him and his family's life. Like the gunman saying, you better do what I say. I know where you live. I know where your family lives. I'm going to shoot you. Just, it seemed like a very intense situation. In an instant, Blake was on the ground unconscious with blood, Pouring from his head. When he came to a few seconds later, he was stunned and thought he had been shot in the face. He was in blinding pain and confused. He describes the pain as horrific, searing, and throbbing. He says everything was spinning and he couldn't see because of the blood pouring into his eyes. Blake had not been shot in the face, though. The intruder had smashed Blake in the head, hitting him in the left eye, causing three fractures and severe damage to his eye. Blake had been punched with the brass knuckles. The hit was so hard and so violent, it sent Blake flying backwards. When Blake regained consciousness, he thought he had lost his eye from being shot, and then he realized... He was alone. He couldn't see Hannah or the gunman anymore, but he could hear Hannah screaming outside in the street. After Blake had been knocked out, the gunman grabbed Hannah's bag off her shoulder and a struggle took place. Hannah, she wouldn't let go of her bag and the gunman was screaming at her to let it go. And this struggle took them outside. They were moving with the struggle. They were struggling back and forth. And eventually the gunman got the bag and he started to run. Hannah, acting on complete adrenaline and fight or flight response, chased the gunman down. I have no background in psychology and I I just want to make that clear because I'm going to start talking about the brain's reaction. So I just want to make it clear. I have no background in psychology. I know what I know from trying to understand my own mental health, uh, following um, therapists and counselors like therapy in a nutshell, uh, reading about mental health. That's how I know this. So some people in this situation – might freeze up. Some people might try to run away or escape. And some people may fight. It's just how our sympathetic and parasympathetic response works. It's how humans have survived for thousands of years. It's activated fast when we perceive our life is at risk. And without mental training, there is no way to control it. Hannah's amygdala was calling the shots now. Now. The parasympathetic and sympathetic reactions are another thing that absolutely fascinate me because it makes you act before you even know what you're doing. One time, this is a personal story, one time I was walking barefoot through a jungle in Thailand on an island and all of a sudden there was this really long black snake slithering so fast, like lightning fast. And it's it slithered right through my stride as my feet were, as I was walking and I was in right in stride. The snake went right through my feet. And I remember thinking, who's screaming? What is that noise I'm hearing? And then I realized it was me screaming. And I was automatically jumping off the ground. And there was not a millisecond, a fraction of a second before that, that I meant to do that. It was an automatic response when my primitive brain picked up danger before I even knew what was happening. It was one of the most eye-opening moments to understanding how the brain reacts quickly and on autopilot to threats. I was baffled at the reaction time. It was fucking instant, and I had no control over what I was doing. It turned out a bunch of monkeys were chasing this snake to eat it, and that snake, it was also acting on instinct, and it was busy getting away from the monkeys, from the threat, Um, and it didn't bite me, thankfully. The monkeys also didn't bite me, which I'm also very thankful for. I am almost equally scared of those gray monkeys. I think the species is called macaques. They are not nice. They have huge fangs. They are aggressive. They steal. In another part of Thailand, I had one steal a bag from my hands, it was just a plastic bag with some food and and stuff in it. And it hissed at me and it stole this bag and it was terrifying as fuck. But luckily there was it was like basically an empty bag, there was a little bit of food in it and some garbage, like an empty energy drink bottle with a screw lid. And that monkey, it went through the bag, grabbed that bottle, unscrewed the cap like a damn human, tipped it upside down, and was shaking the last drops into its mouth. It was crazy how human it was. But yeah, I'm scared of those macaque monkeys. People were like, I love monkeys. I'm like, I'm, you know, cool if you love monkeys, but I do not love macaques. I fear them deeply. But back to Hannah, though. So Hannah, she was experiencing this reaction. And the way it works is how you usually respond to threats or stress is how you will react when the amygdala takes over, when the parasympathetic or sympathetic response kicks in, the fight, flight, or freeze response. And the reason why one is stronger than the other is because it's basically your default reaction, because it's been used the most. So if you're used to running away from threats, if you're used to freezing and just trying to basically seem invisible, or if you fight, whichever one you use most, that one's the strongest because you've used it. It's like a muscle. That will be your, your default mode. So to Hannah... Hers must have been fight. She can't explain why she didn't just let her bag go. She she doesn't know that. But what she does know is that she was acting on instinct. She tells 60 Minutes Australia that, quote, it was like my mind wasn't thinking. It was like my body just moved, unquote. And I can understand that when I think back to that snake in Thailand situation that I was in. it feel, It felt exactly like that. My body did what it was going to do to deal with this immediate threat, and my mind, it wasn't it wasn't involved at all. It wasn't invited to that party. Hannah caught up to the gunman and grabbed her bag back. As she got her bag back she says that the man tried to punch her but she ducked out of the pathway of his fist leading to the gunman falling to the ground. That's right she dodged the hit. Her fight response is amazing. I'm not sure if she has a background in boxing or some type of fighting because uh, well she never said that in anything that I watched I never read it in anything that I read about this but she seems like she would make an amazing UFC fighter Blake, who had just regained consciousness, can hear Hannah pleading with the gunman because the gunman is now on the ground and is pointing the gun up at Hannah. And Blake, he can hear these screams. He can hear Hannah screaming. He thinks Hannah is about to die. Blake, he doesn't know what's happening. He doesn't know if the gunman has kidnapped Hannah or if he's drug her outside to kill her. This is in the middle of the day. They are now in the middle of the street in the middle of the day. This is not happening in the middle of the night. It's probably around 12.31 in the afternoon at this point. So Blake can hear her screaming. Um, He can't see properly because of all the blood in his eyes and it's most likely he's concussed. He himself would be acting on the instinctive primitive part of his brain well concussed and he grabs a samurai sword from his wall which he had because he collected them. A head injury paired with an intense life or death situation could make anyone do things they wouldn't normally do. Also, Blake thinks he's been shot in the head. He doesn't understand yet that he was punched with brass knuckles and not shot. He is also thinking the gunman is going to shoot her next. And in his mind, he's thinking, he's going to kill her. He's going to kill her. He's going to kill her. He was just, that was the thought that was just on cycle over and over again in his head. He's going to kill her. He's going to kill her. He's going to kill her. So he's just acting on instincts to save Hannah's life. Blake ran out into the street and that's when he could see Hannah and the gunman. But remember, he couldn't see that well. Um, And it looked to him like they were in some type of Tussle. There was a fight going on. He couldn't see exactly. So Blake runs up to the gunman with the samurai sword in his hand and cracked the gunman over the head once with the samurai sword to save Hannah's life. Blake says he cannot recall doing it. He doesn't remember the exact moment he swung that sword and hit the gunman. He doesn't deny doing it, it's just he can't actually remember that specific moment. And it is possible his brain blocked it out because it's so traumatic, but he also had a head wound and it was a very high stress situation. The gunman laid down for a moment, then started to get up, so Blake and Hannah ran, thinking the gunman was coming after them again. Since this was in the afternoon, neighbors could see everything happening, and a call was made to 911, saying, there's a gun on the ground, a man has just been attacked and is bleeding, and uh, the, the person making the phone call is pleading with police to hurry, It's important to note the gun on the ground, as this is going to come back up later. It's clear the 911 caller is scared of the man who has just been attacked, because she says... Oh my god, he's trying to stand up, and she sounds terrified. The gunman does get back up, and Blake and Hannah want to put as much space between them and him as possible. The gunman tried to walk down the street, but ended up stumbling and bleeding a lot before dying from the sword injury to his head. The samurai sword sliced into the gunman's head, 2 centimeters deep and 25 centimeters long. I believe the reason this case went from an open and shut self-defense to a lengthy court battle is because of not only the weird Australian laws around self-defense and home invaders, but also what happens next. Blake and Hannah, they didn't call police. They didn't call 911 uh, for the wounded attacker. Blake hid the weapon in the backyard packed a bag with $21,000 of cash. Uh, He also, in that bag, put five sets of nunchucks and a toy BB gun. And he and Hannah, they basically fled for lack of a better word. Blake and Hannah, they don't believe they were fleeing. They see it as they were running away from a dangerous man who was out to rob and kill them. The bag with $21,000 in it was found by police nearby. Hannah and Blake had abandoned it and I'm not sure if they forgot it where they were hiding. They were hiding in like a laneway or if they weren't thinking clearly and thought it was a good idea to leave it. I'm not sure. They claim that money had nothing to do with weed, which we're going to talk about later. This only strengthens the thought they were not thinking clearly. This is not making any sense. It's in this part of the case I started to think Something fishy was happening here. My first thought was, what the hell is going on? If someone breaks into your home, threatens to kill you with a gun, assaults you, and through the means of self-defense ends up injured, then you wouldn't feel the need to run because you have done nothing wrong. But then again, they did think the man was still capable of shooting them, so that kind of makes sense. Also, the gunmen did tell them there were more people who knew where they lived. So were they thinking more people were on the way? More of these intruders were on their way to hurt them? Were more of them watching? Were they around? They didn't know, so maybe that's why they ran. Something else struck me as odd, though. Why this house? Why Blake and Hannah? What did they have that someone knew about that led to this? What was that gunman after? It didn't strike me as a random robbery right off the bat. I mean, maybe in the first 20-30 seconds listening to this case, I thought, oh shit, that's an unfortunate incident. They left their door open. Someone was desperate in watching them at that time. But as it got further into the case, I was thinking, "This mm, something doesn't add up. This doesn't seem random. The first conclusion to these answers was drugs. That's what I thought. Even before I fully knew this case, I was wondering if Blake and Hannah were selling drugs because that means they would have lots of cash. And if they deal from home, then customers would know where they live and that they have a safe or a money stash or whatever. But let's just talk about that bag that Blake packed. Let's go back to that. So Blake doesn't know why he packed such a weird bug out bag, but Hannah said they grabbed their cash savings because they thought the other people the gunman was talking about was going to come and get that money, was going to steal their savings. The couple, they get the hell out of Blake's house and they spent three days moving around to different hotels. They thought that the gunman and other people were after them still. They didn't know what to do. For two days they never once called police but by Sunday night they had heard that the man that Blake had hit or the man that was involved in that accident did die and by Sunday night they did call police and Monday night they were arrested in relation to a murder investigation and then charged with murder. This is when I get really suspicious because it kind of seems like They were on the run, whether be it from men with guns who want to harm them and steal their money, or from the police. And if dangerous men are after you and you are not doing anything illegal, then calling police seems logical. Well, we will talk more about this in a moment. But first, who was this gunman? The night before all this happened, 30-year-old Jet McKee, also known by his rapper name, and I'm probably going to get this wrong because I didn't hear the name spoken anywhere. I just read it, Uh, C-Paz, S-C-E-P-A-Z, C-Paz. I'm going to refer to him as Jet. So Jet, he was seen on casino surveillance cameras, gambling loads of money and losing he had been there all night putting $100 bills into the pokey machines and I don't think he you in Australia they call them pokey machines it's basically a slot machine and I don't think he was up on his luck when he left so down on his luck and wanting some money or needing some money he had a trick up his sleeve Two days prior, he had been watching Blake's home. He knew about money in Blake's home from his friend who sold Hannah weed. Hannah says she wasn't a drug dealer, but she did smoke weed and her friends also smoked weed. So she would buy in bulk, whether that means a couple of ounces at a time or a pound at a time. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. I I don't know. I have no idea. I didn't hear the exact amount. If I were to guess, I'd say a couple ounces at a time. Uh, and then she would divide it up and sell it to her friends. So basically, they were all putting in money and, and just going in on a couple ounces at a time. Again, I'm just guessing that. Okay. But we do know that she would buy weed and then sell it to her friends, which in court, understandably it is going to sound a lot like a drug dealer but she wasn't maintaining a steady supply of weed to strangers she wasn't making her you know her her whole income from selling weed by the sounds of it. When Blake's home was searched by police, they found a drawer with $3,000 cash in it and a small amount of weed in glass jars. Again, to me, this looked like a couple of ounces, which isn't much at all if she's a dealer. So I don't think she was a a dealer or anything. Just I think she was just supplying to herself and her friends. But again, I'm just going off of interviews I saw with her and information I read about this case so back to Jet McKee so he had staked Blake's place out because he heard through a friend there was cash on the property he goes to the casino loses a lot of money gets really high on methamphetamines we know this because the autopsy report stated that Jet McKee had lethal amounts of methamphetamines in his system when he died but His high levels of methamphetamines had no factor in contributing to his death physically. The coroner said he had seen less levels of methamphetamines kill people, but this was not the case. Jet died as a result of the sword wound to his head. So Jet, he was very high on methamphetamines when all this was happening. He and his friend make a plan to steal Blake and Hannah's money in broad daylight on that Friday afternoon, and the friend was supposed to be the getaway driver. Weeks earlier, armed with a crowbar, Jet and this getaway driver had pulled the same stunt on a different home. So this wasn't their first time doing a home invasion. Jet had also made a music video for one of his rap songs, and in that video, it showed him doing a home invasion. So there was something really drawing him to home invasions as opposed to like robbing a bank or something. Maybe he thought there was less risk. That afternoon, he and his friend go over to Blake's home. Jet brings cable ties, pepper spray, brass knuckles and the gun. He watches Hannah enter the home and follows her in. Here is something I haven't said yet. That gun that Jet had was a prop gun. It only shot blanks, which were apparently all the gun was loaded with, but Blake and Hannah, they had no idea it wasn't a real gun with real bullets. When what was Jet's plans plan though? Like, why did he have cable ties? I understand the pepper spray. Why didn't he start with that if he wanted a clean getaway? I don't know what was happening here. Maybe he was gonna pepper spray them or use the gun to get them to kind of submit so he could tie them up and then question them about where the money was. I don't know, but it's clear that whatever his plan was, it that it did not go to plan. In fact, we know not all went according to plan and the getaway driver never came out to help. And on the 60 Minutes interview, they said that the guy who was the getaway driver is currently in prison overseas and cannot be named. So we have no idea who that guy was, um, but he was never seen during this home invasion. So let's hear what happened in the court case. Hannah and Blake say that not contacting police had nothing to do with the weed or the money, but the courts made a huge deal out of the weed and the money, which, yes, does look suspicious, I will agree, but it's taking away from what actually happened here. It seems the case got so clouded with the weed and money thing that the fact they had a man burst into their home wearing a ski mask, waving a gun around in their face was downplayed. Also in court it was argued that once Jet had got a hold of Hannah's bag and ran away then it should have ended there and yes that would be ideal for this horrific situation but that didn't happen because Hannah chased him down to get her bag back. We will never know what was in that bag because my first thought was what the hell was in that bag that she would risk her her life to go get it back but then another thought is she was acting on instinct her body was just moving and her primitive part of her brain had just completely taken over so maybe that had something to do with it you know she what but it's clear she wasn't going to let someone come into her boyfriend's home terrorize them threaten them assault Blake and steal her bag But in the eyes of the law, once Hannah chased her attacker, she then became the attacker and was in the wrong. So let me get this straight. Someone can point a gun in your face, threaten your life, rob you, bash your loved one in the face with brass knuckles, and as soon as they turn around, the crime is over, and if you chase them or hit them, then the attacker is now the innocent victim... And the person who was just attacked is the criminal. What the fuck? What, what the fuck? Okay, when should you defend yourself? When the gun is directly in your face? When they have murdered you? I don't know. The and it, it, Oh man, these is just crazy with this self-defense thing. I couldn't figure it out. The plea of self-defense seems to be very very complicated in a court of law in Australia. Basically it was argued since Jet was out of the home and running down the street Hannah and Blake had no reason to defend themselves but the gunman had what was rightfully Hannah's and Hannah was just trying to get it back. I mean Go ask police how many stolen bags they actually get back with everything inside still from a robber. I would guess, if I were to just guess a crazy number, I would guess zero. So yes, Hannah pursued the robber to get her bag back, not to kill him. That seems like fact. Hannah said that once she got her bag back, that Jet had the gun pointed at her again while he was on the ground. And this is where things get complicated in court. If they could prove Hannah did in fact have the gun pointed at her and thought that she was going to be shot, then what Blake did may have been self-defense and not been seen as excessive, or maybe it would have, I don't know. But the court, they did not side with Hannah on this, so we, we won't ever know what would have happened if the court did believe Hannah. The judge said that eyewitnesses didn't see the gun being pointed at her, But the same eyewitnesses also didn't see the sword in Blake's hand. Some saying it was a stick. So how close were these eyewitnesses? They weren't even close enough to make out that it was a sword in Blake's hand. So how close were these eyewitnesses? I'm not sure, but not close enough to make or break a trial in my opinion. But the judge had a different opinion and claimed that she believed Jet did enter Blake's home with a gun and threatened them with it inside, but believes he only had the gun on his body, like in his pants or wherever on his body, when Hannah chased him and not in his hand, even though the gun was found laying on the road near where the outside attack had happened the judge says he probably dropped it when the struggle on the road happened to me this makes no sense the judge thinks that jet took the time to put the gun in his pocket and then run with it in his pocket have you even ever put your cell phone in your pocket and then tried to run it's bouncing sometimes it can bounce out i don't know it it just doesn't make sense that he that he didn't have it in his hand I mean, he was just pointing it at Hannah when he ripped her bag away from her. Uh, When would he have time or the frame of mind to conceal the weapon on his body in the seconds it took to run from the home to the street? There was no argument about whether there was a gun or not. The argument was, did Jet have the gun pointed at Hannah when Blake hit him with the sword, delivering the fatal blow to Jet's head? And to this, the judge said, no. Jet did not have the gun pointed at Hannah and did not pose a threat to her when Blake killed Jet. In short, this wasn't self-defense in the court's eyes. And also, the judge believed that Blake acted with excessive force. The excessive force thing, that really stuck. That really, really, really stuck to Blake's case hard. Hannah was incredibly shook that the judge is calling her a liar and won't believe her. The fact of the matter is, Hannah and Blake both had that gun pointed directly at them and death threats being yelled at them moments before in the house. And Blake, he believed he had been shot in the face already and truly believed Hannah was next. Blake says he never intended to kill or even hurt Jet McKee. He only wanted to save Hannah from what he perceived to be that her life was in immediate danger. He wanted to save her from this life-threatening situation. The courts also were stuck on the issue of Blake and Hannah fleeing the crime scene, which I will admit does not look good. Police always say innocent people don't run, but it's safe to say both Hannah and Blake, they were not in the right frame of mind. I truly believe had they not run, this case would have had a different outcome. Blake was initially charged with murder, and then that was dropped to manslaughter using excessive force. And when it came for the jury to have their final word, he was found guilty. Hannah, on a later court date, was found guilty of accessory to manslaughter after the fact. So all of this court stuff took about three years, maybe a little bit less, but their sentencing was held shortly after they were charged. So in 2021, Blake ended up with a two year and nine months prison sentence, eligible for parole only after that amount of time, but not before, with a maximum of five years and three months. He was then refused bail and couldn't appeal the sentencing. Blake could potentially be out of prison by 2023. Hannah was sentenced to two years community corrections order, and I'm not entirely sure what that entails, but it does mean she will not go to prison. Whether or not charges were laid because of the weed police found in Blake's home, I'm unsure of. I'm also unsure if they got back the $21,000 in cash savings. I'm assuming to do that, they would have to provide exactly how the money was obtained legally and not from weed. Blake and Hannah, they say it was savings for a vacation and that's all I know about that. Blake and Hannah wished that day never happened. Blake never wanted to take a man's life. He never knew he was capable of that and he does feel for the family of Jet McKee and he does have a lot of remorse for the what had happened. Hannah told 60 Minutes that she is grateful Blake defended her, but she is also forever heartbroken and tortured that a life was lost as a result. This is such a bizarre case. Lauren McDougall, Hannah's defense lawyer, felt like the jury was swayed by the by the way the crown presented the case and she says that the crown really focused on the drugs and money and it made it seem like a turf war instead of a home invasion. Lauren also says the weapon Blake used may have also shocked the jury and wonders that if he would have used something else would the jurors had seen this differently. The samurai sword was in a lot of news article headlines that I read. The media really made that weapon front and center of this story. The Crown tried to make it look like Blake murdered Jet McKee to send a message to anyone getting the idea of robbing a drug dealer, but the judge didn't share that opinion. At the end of the day, the court has spoken and what's done is done. Let's just briefly look at another self-defense case in Australia, but in a different state. This one happened in Melbourne, so different state, different city. There was no money or drugs involved and the person who killed the home invader didn't run. In 2015, a 49-year-old ex-U.S. Special Forces military man named Russell Harrison was living in Melbourne with his family. One day, he heard horrific screams coming from his neighbor's home, and he jumped into action. As he approached the home, he saw an intruder was strangling the woman who lived in the home, and he immediately busted in and got the intruder off the woman. And then he and the intruder started to fight. The intruder then started to strangle Russell, but Russell has trained special forces and got the intruder to release his grip after shoving his thumb into the assailant's eye. Once the intruder released, Russell got the man into a sleeper hold, and the man ended up dying. Police arrested Russell and charged him with murder. Russell couldn't believe what was happening. They said, look, you're under arrest for murder. He said that was not murder. That was self-defense. He was a hero. He saved his neighbor. And now he is under arrest for murder. Russell was asked in an interview what he thought would have happened had he not heard his neighbor's screams and ran over to help her, and he wholeheartedly believes that his neighbor's children would have came home to find their mother dead on the kitchen floor had he not intervened. When the coroner's report came back, it read that the intruder was on drugs. They didn't specifically say what drugs they just said drugs and the drugs paired with the sleeper hold gave the intruder a heart attack it took over 18 months before Russell got off the charges and was completely cleared During that time, his business started failing and clients were cancelling. He had to use all his savings, including retirement funds, just to survive. He did potentially save a life, but in doing so, he unintentionally took a life. Just like in Blake and Hannah's case. These situations are sad and everyone involved is affected. No justice is served, lives are lost, and families are heartbroken. In these cases, the deaths seem to be an accident while acting on pure instinct in a stressful situation to save an innocent life. Ugh, I get a headache thinking about the philosophy involved in this because no one can take a life that doesn't belong to them, but at the same time, that was never the intention. The intention was to save someone. Okay, well, that concludes this week's episode. Thanks for listening. Please follow, rate, and review the podcast or whatever platform you are streaming on. I noticed a lot of you are listening on Stitcher, so thank you for finding my podcast. It is new to Stitcher, and it seems to be really taking off. If, um, yeah, so if you're new here... To hell no, a true crime podcast. um We do have an Instagram if you want to follow us there at hell no underscore a true crime podcast, uh, being all one word. I don't know why I say us. It's only me. I'm a one woman show over here. I do all the research. I do all the writing. I do all the recording. I do all the editing. I do uh, everything. I do everything. So we are a one woman show. But I say us, and I don't.